fight it so I know it's real. <laughs> I'm so glad I just got that. Hello and welcome to How I Hear It, uh, our podcast where we talk about music and culture and the intersections between. My name's Jordan. My name is Max. And we've got a great show for you today. Uh, it's about death. <laughs> uh, sorry, I shouldn't have laughed, I guess. I don't know. Sometimes death is funny. Sometimes death is funny. Uh, and we'll get to that eventually. Uh, we've got a lot of different stories, celebrities we want to focus on, uh, some of our like favorite aspects of some of these like death stories that have happened to celebrities in, in music and what it means and how it's affected other people. But right. first, how you doing, Max? I'm pretty swell. I'm still <clears throat> in in self isolation, uh, just kind of letting the news wash over me like a, a daily tidal wave of uh, confusion and um, uh, memes. <clears throat> Perfect. Uh, so it's a little bit of a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? I'm good. Uh, I went back to work to try to transition a bar into a to-go thing. Oh, so, been... so all the all the protests finally worked, huh? Everyone's going it back to work. Finally worked. Yeah. Hell yeah. Open it up. Open up the economy. That's what I say. That's what I. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Let's get back to work. <laughs> uh, but other than that, I've been. I watched all of that high fidelity TV show with Zoe oh. Kravitz. Have you seen that at all? I haven't. It's super fun. Is it? Okay, cool. I think it got a lot of flack and it was like I can't remember why people were not into it, but it, it's fun. And like the soundtrack's killer. It's very like New York. Uh right. if you don't like that show, you're wrong, and that's what Jordan says. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think people want different things from that. Like the movie was obviously way more serious and a little more Yeah, I don't know. I think it hits all the right groups for me. I had a great time. Hell yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm getting like like more i'm getting bored of like the argument that i've made a lot in the past or even pretty recently which is just like you know what like which i think there's a grain of truth to which is like you know fuck all these like remakes and like reboots and like i'm so tired of that i'm like i am you know True. but like <laughs> maybe i've just been broken down enough to the point where i'm like i mean this is all there is so like i'm just picking my favorites at this point <laughs> i mean like yeah. i just like this one you know like it's good you know, and High Fidelity, it's like, it is one of my favorite movies. And I think for a lot of people, you know. But the interesting thing is seeing, like, Zoe Kravitz replace mm -hmm. the whiny, uh, you know, white guy record store owner who's just right. sort of pining the entire time. And it's a little, it can be a little grating. Mm -hmm. uh, and her performance is pretty cool. It's it's nice to see faces switched around and, and things brought into, like, a modern era in different ways. You know, like, one of the record store clerks deals with uh being homosexual in a really interesting way and like uh, mm -hmm. you know trying to enter this dating world and trying to maintain this uh authenticity as like a record store guy and you know it's cool it's it's really interesting to watch all of that stuff play out in the background of like zoe kravitz being like a i don't know a drunken asshole a lovable <laughs> drunken asshole right but also a rising star herself as a an actor yeah 
So shout out to our sponsor for today's show, High Fidelity. Uh, catch it on Hulu. <laughs> Hulu dot com. Yeah, you can get a free month subscription at Hulu uh, with the code um, here. H E A R. If you want to write us a check for this spot, Hulu, I'm sure you can find our addresses in your data streams somewhere. We'll be waiting. I don't have a Hulu account, but hell no, someone will find it. I got everything but Hulu. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, this week, uh, do you want to play our recurring segment, Max's yeah, just, music facts? The, here's the thing: is like <clears throat> I've been so busy following the Corona news, which is not really true, but uh, I just I'm I'm I've gotten to the point where I specifically avoid music news so that I will be um so be more fresh. ready for this game. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think after the past couple, you've won, and it hurt me in a way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are you, are you uh, it hurt, the, my, hurt my pride a lot. Up um, in the stakes. The stakes have been upped. Yeah, I'm <laughs> like looking that, at the cup game now, where it's you're just like yeah, taking the ball underneath the which cup is it? Which cup is it? This news is only uh, like German music scene. You know, <laughs> uh, like yeah, I'm I'm only looking for new music news within like a very specific anarcho DIY subset of the Berlin art scene going on last year. Uh, hey, I'm o- I'm always guessing anyway, so it's really no different. No, it's gonna be fun, and we all <laughs> learn a little bit, and we uh, it's gonna be great. So anyway, Max's music facts. Dun, 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 dun. We should I should come up with a theme song. That'd be fun. Yeah, I, I feel like it should be like a, um like a news anchor. Like, yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that was the space for that to go. <laughs> uh, basically, the rules here are: I'm gonna tell Max three stories using headlines I found in the news, and two of them are completely true, 100 percent accurate. Uh, one of them is going to be a lie, something I made mm-hmm. up. And it's up to Max to guess which one is the lie. It's true. All right. Are you ready? So ready. So um, you may have seen this. Post Malone um, Mm. covered Nirvana to raise money for the WHO in a live stream. Okay. Okay. It was uh, heavily watched. They raised a crazy amount of money. Uh, His drummer was Travis Barker. Like 182. Okay. Okay. Um, And honestly, they killed it like damn posty's a huge nirvana head uh and did a lot of deep cuts and like it was great that's sick yeah yeah i've been seeing more of him playing guitar uh yeah like, jamming on the acoustic playing like uh don't think twice it's all right back in the day <clears throat> respect which is very cool uh um, okay okay number two um we got a video from green day um in quarantine doing a live cover of joe exotics here kitty kitty um and it was like kind of covid era like they had face masks masks on and they had a a ruler on the ground to show that they were six feet apart Um, (laughs) but they were like in a a studio or something like that um Uh, and obviously that's not joe exotics song like there's a backing band i didn't i think it was like something something county band like that wrote all that stuff for him but you know oh, really? okay. famous from the tiger king doc or whatever immortalized by 
by the Tiger King. Yeah, and now further immortalized by Green Day doing a COVID uh-huh. we'll, music we'll video. See, we'll see if I believe that. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> there's a new book from Eddie Van Halen. Okay. That's not the whole headline. but yeah, Okay. I was going to call bullshit <laughs> right there. I don't know. <laughs> um, and then the new book, Van Halen claims that he once held a gun to Fred Durst's head. Uh, and this is when he was trying out to be the guitarist for Limp Bizkit, uh, somewhere in that like scuffle or whatever it happened in that interaction. Wow. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna have to say the Green Day. The Green Day story is bullshit. The the and here's what it was that made me think that was the detail of the ruler indicating oh, yeah. that they're six feet apart from each other. I think you showed your hand on that one, Jordan. It's funny that you say that. That is the lie. Because everything else was true about that story? No, because it was the offspring that did that ah. cover. Oh. And did literally have like a, a not a real ruler, a but like a, they had like a drawn ruler on the ground that like. Oh yeah. my God. It's, so, oh, I don't did, know. Why didn't they do, I mean, maybe they did, but did they or did they not do uh, a version of their song come out and play, which is uh, go home and stay? No, that that would have been better than this, <laughs> for sure. Huge missed opportunity. But yeah, I mean, so that did happen with the offspring. It wasn't Green Day, right? I guess I thought I'd get you. I thought that maybe those would be interchangeable to you, but I, I was wrong. It was really, it was literally everything up until the ruler that I would have gone gone along with. Damn it! Yeah. All right, three for three, buddy. Three for I don't know how many actually. I am a god. <laughs> <laughs> But how about uh, Post Malone? You should watch those. Hey, hey, folks. How it many of y'all like great. Post Malone? How about that Post Malone, y'all? And this is for our next sponsor, Post Malone. Um, <laughs> he, the cool thing about those videos is he's got, like, you can kind of see his house. Uh, oh. You know, everyone's, like, separated. But he's playing, like, a Les Paul, and they're, like, getting real loud. Um, but he's got, like, a Bud Light tap handle in his kitchen. You can see yeah. in the background. They've got there's like so I've seen many footage of his bottles house before, of rosé just popped open and like ready to go for pan practice. He so wild. is just smoking a cigarette the whole time. Like there's a lot of uh, points in the songs where he just stops playing to smoke. <laughs> like, yeah, it just reminds me of being 16 or something. I don't know. What a life, man. That yeah, you know that's a dream, isn't it? Just Post- smoking a cig inside. Yeah, playing a left ball. But the cool thing is that you can really tell that he likes. He's like oh, a yeah. huge fan. Totally. It's, it's sick. Need like puts a lot into it. Uh the Eddie Van Halen thing. Yeah, so what's up with that? So that's true. Yeah. Um so is he actually an alien? Is that the the final twist here? Is that he's so, a, a, a gray? I'm going to I feel like I might get this name wrong because I didn't put it, I didn't write it down and put it in front of me. Wes Boylan was the guitarist yeah. in Limp Bizkit, Wait, right? That's... Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to look it up. I don't care enough. Uh, but he had quit Limp Bizkit and they were such a high profile band in terms of, you know, like the media coverage as, as bad boys. And, you know, they were getting all this attention that they were thought to be maybe the next thing, especially as rap metal became a genre for one of the first times, uh, as like financially viable. Right. It's uh, like every time something was broken, the cops or the detectives would be like, ah, something broken. Yeah. Limp Bizkit. <laughs> <laughs> the uh so Eddie Van Halen was supposed to come and be the guitar player. He was like 
bizarre. maybe going to audition. Yeah, such a weird step down for him. But you know weird. what was happening with Eddie with Van Halen at that point? I don't know. Totally. I don't know. The story is that he went over to uh, this house to practice and got so upset or disappointed with uh, the group who were like late and like smoking weed and like playing video games <laughs> or something. He out a pistol? That, no, that he just left. Oh, okay. And he comes <clears throat> back the next day and he's got this like four wheel drive tactical vehicle that he had driven through the streets of LA and pulled up onto Durst's front lawn. Okay. Jumped out without a shirt on and with a fucking gun out and started smoking a cigar and pointed a gun at Fred Durst's head and said, get all my shit. Cause he left all his gear there. He right. said, get all my shit and put it in the car. <laughs> uh, I guess he tried to call him a few times and it, he hadn't gotten a hold of him or something like that. <laughs> Which leaves him only one option, which is only driving a four-wheeler up to his lawn and brandishing yeah. a weapon. I love that story. That's awesome. He's really – it made him more, to me, like uh, the futuristic Ted Nugent that we all deserved. Yeah, but why did he have to admit that is what I want to know. I don't know. Well, I think it was in a coffee table book and it just became a right, grabby no one reads headline, anyone. right? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's no a grabby headline for someone to comment on on a blog. Yeah, yeah, yeah coffee table book where you just you're just flipping through the photos and you just kind of like oh huh, like look at this weird photo of like him pointing a gun at fred durst for a second and then you just kind of flip over yeah cool cool well, well i did uh for this week since last week you did a, a shout out to a non-profit that we were trying to oh, bring right. attention to yeah late on me i picked one for this week um and then after this we're gonna read some memes right oh yeah cool uh for this week i wanted to talk about national bailout which is an organization that is bailing out incarcerated black mothers during COVID-19 so that they can be safe and at home with their families, uh, especially uh, before Mother's Day. Um, this is a group of people that are especially vulnerable to illness and even death during the outbreak. Uh, this group works to provide bail, safe housing, groceries, and support services to these people um, who are two and a half times more likely to be arrested, two times more likely to be detained than white people, um, they also work to end pretrial detention and uh, work on bail reform. Uh, it's just a great group doing something very important uh, that is uh, systematically a failure of our society and culture. Check them out if you can. I made a donation. Um, donate if you can. Spread the word if you can. Totally. And again, and we're not. We don't get paid for any spots or anything like that. We just do this because we're fucking bored. But, we do it uh, for the cloud. But also, if you're gonna listen to this, you should listen. To that message I just gave you and check it out. Type it in. Yeah, and it's like, you know, there's a lot of organizations that are doing... We're just highlighting a few, but if you are really interested, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that's even more specific to, oh, to stuff so you're interested many. in. So yeah. many people need help. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So right <clears throat> up against that, why don't you read us the meme of the week? It's uh, it's meme o'clock. I don't know <laughs> if you know, knew that. meme o'clock. <laughs> Dang, that's a good segment name. Thank you. Uh I just came up with it. Um, I wanted to talk briefly, uh, if I could, if you don't mind, about... Um, I'll allow it. Okay, thank you. Uh, a format that I've been seeing that I I feel like is... I, I've been seeing it a lot, and I think it's pretty ripe um, for analysis, and it's the boy texting girl format. Have you seen this one? Where it's like um, two... Usually a variation on two panels, where there's like... Uh, I, well, actually, I think the the woman's on top on the top panel and she's texting uh, a guy 
and then there's a panel below and you see the guy and like his response I'm, Have you i seen think I'm, I'm familiar with all of those words like this one like like see <laughs> yeah i'm familiar with that okay okay, okay. yeah i don't so, own a phone so a lot of this what? this segment is me just hearing about memes from you that's not true We'll leave that up to the viewers. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's I'll I'll be the first to tell you that's not true, but uh, you know I think a lot of times memes are like relying on like like all com- kind of comedy or attempts at comedy are like relying on assumptions that we have, and so that can like really work super well sometimes if it sure. like meets our expectations or subverts our expectations. I'm just gonna break down humor for you real quick if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah, take us to the, <laughs> to the Wikipedia page for humor real quick. But uh but you know sometimes it also kills a joke if you like don't wow. agree with one of those assumptions, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and but I think a lot of really funny memes right now are some that are like taking the format of something that is, you know, really reliant on a stereotype that is actually kind of oversimplified and, you know, stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, or not, you know, yeah, incorrect, let's say. Right. Um, and then kind of subverts it. So, like, I think this particular meme format is really conducive to, like, weird gendered jokes about, like, okay. this is how women respond to men, and this is how men respond to women. But some of my favorites have been, uh, so, okay, so I've got one pulled up where it's expanded the two-panel format to a four-panel. And so <laughs> um, the, the guy texts, right about now. And the, the woman texts back, the funk soul brother. And then the guy texts, check it out now. And then the woman checks, texts back, the funk soul brother. So like, and then there's another one that's similar where it's like, the woman is texting, I like to sing a, about the moon and the tuna and the spring. A, I like to sing. A. And then, then the guy responds about the T4 to it. You know, he just like finishes the song. And I just really like those because it's like, that's one, some of my favorite kind of shit posting where it's just like complete disregard for like, the the assumptions that kind of underpin you know whatever normie society and then we're just like yeah like uh, can demonstrate how little regard we have for that like another another variation is uh and this is a little bit more of like a gender playing into the gendered thing but kind of skewering it to where it's like a woman is like texting the guy and she's like what are you thinking about right now and then instead of a response it shows that the the guy is in in his like the speech bubble from his texting it just shows that he's watching the um the, the vi- video of like a cartoon pyramid dancing to the uh um what the hell is the song um fuck how am i forgetting this right now uh music what? make you lose control the music make you lose control music make you oh, lose wow. control there's like, like a pyramid going like jumping up and down to that to that song and so he's just looking at that so you know like there is some maybe something gendered about that potentially that they're yeah. trying to say but I, I also just think it's like stupid and i think <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah or it's trying to be subversive in some way too yeah yeah like, exactly yeah very so, cool there you have it uh if you ever see one of those again it should not be funny to you and if it is you didn't understand what i was just saying and you should read yeah. a book if yeah. you didn't if you look at it and you laugh rewind a little bit here <laughs> yeah. let's go you back. missed something <laughs> yeah hell yeah all right great uh we're gonna take a short bump and then we're going to come back on the other side and talk about death. Please come back. Yeah. I said the 
the good toilets downstairs. <laughs> All right, yeah. and we're okay. back. Um, if you're still listening, you're still listening to How I Hear It, our podcast about music and culture. Today's episode is what? Well, it's about um, famous musicians who passed away. It's about uh, mortality. It's about the beyond. It's about, uh, some would say, spirituality. I wouldn't, but some might. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't. Where do we want to? Where do we want to get started with this? You know, I think. Well, let me just write. Let me just ruffle my notes. <clears throat> yeah. Make it sound like you have a lot of them. That's what I I've do. got. Minute. I've got three pages. Um, like uh, got, we've got some. We've got names. Some of our faves uh, that we wanted to talk about, and we're gonna gonna go like back and forth maybe on those, and then there's another. Um, bigger discussion that we, we're going to have at the end of that, um, but you know, like, where do we start? If I think if we're starting in terms of like timeline, I might have the first. Yeah, and, and yeah, I mean, I also have just a couple of questions that maybe I can just kind of sure make at the beginning, and that we don't have to necessarily answer them, but maybe we'll try to explore them as we go along. And the first one was um, something that we've kind of addressed before, or like been thinking about in previous episodes, which is what kind of person becomes a, a famous musician um, or sure. more broadly a celebrity. And I think we've kind of talked about like, you know, different kinds of personalities. Are there actually certain people that are predisposed to that? And we've talked a little bit about actually there's a lot of other factors beyond the individual, like luck and timing and management and all these other kinds of things that are involved in that. Um, but a big part of why we experience the death of our famous artists in such a personal and, and powerful way has to do with the kind of adoration that we have for them, the, like the, the nature of celebrity. Um, so yeah, so that's one kind of thing is like, are there certain people who are, who are predisposed to being special and being genius people? Right. And, and is there a link between that and self-destructive behavior? Because the other question that I have yeah. is the other question I got is like, what, you know, it actually comes from a Wikipedia, like the Wikipedia article I read about <laughs> celebrity where one of the subheadings is um, some, something along the lines of like associated health risks. Okay. And for some reason, that was just, just, that was just really evocative to me. With being a celebrity. These are the yeah, health exactly. risks. In case you're on Wikipedia thinking about becoming a celebrity. <laughs> That's right. this, yeah. These are the cautionary tales. Side effects may include, yeah, it's a little bit like a pharmaceutical mm. ad, but um, but that just like was really evocative to me and, and kind of made me think about something that I'm always thinking about or that I've always thought about in terms of musicians and, and celebrity and stuff is like, <clears throat> what is this self-destructive tendency? And kind of going back to my first question, are there certain kinds of people who are more predisposed? Is there a link between being successful in terms of music and this kind of stuff and having self-destructive, you know, uh, unhealthy behavior, that, that kind of thing that, that might end to, or like lead to an early end, you know? Right. Um, so those are, like, I have some thoughts about that kind of stuff or about, about I've been thinking along those lines, but those are some questions that were informing kind of my thoughts about it in general were there anything like anything that you were particularly interested in i mean yeah so what was interesting to me was just looking at like the way we tell ourselves stories about these artists um like the, the way their narratives sort of fit into our lives you know they're they're real people and they have real lives and they're doing real things um and i think we forget that a lot it gets kind of lost in the the stardom factor of it all uh so i was interested in looking at what those stories are and how they've like morphed over time in our 
culture and in the retelling of these stories um, and how that impacts us, you know, in, in the mourning mm-hmm. process. Because a couple of big ones like John Prine and, and Bill Withers, you know, just passed away from coronavirus. So it's, it's very like prescient, uh, this concept, you know, how, how do we mourn these guys? We can't get together. Right. 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 I mean, and yeah. And like, not only can we not get together to <clears throat> sort of, you know, mourn together and, and do the things that I think humans often rely on um, when someone dies, but also, you know, I think I was hearing that so, so far in the U S more people have died from Corona than over the entire course of the Vietnam war, like right. than soldiers during over the course of the Vietnam war. Wow. You know? So it's like, death is i mean on the other hand like in some ways you can make the argument that like we've had we've seen these kinds of things introduced into society before and like we've kind of assimilated them without too much fuss over time like things like how many deaths are there from cars you know what i mean like like but we just kind of accept that as a part of life or like guns you know what i mean it's like and i think one really dark potential future is one where we've where we all grow to accept the fact that yeah you know tens of thousands of people millions globally are just like going to be increasingly dying from this kind of stuff so anyway it's just like if it wasn't forefront of mind before i think death is like increasingly something that we're all experiencing intimately and in a way that is like depending on your point of view like a lot more unnecessary than than other kinds of death well and that's why i think it's it's uh that's why i wanted to do this episode is talk about like death here now and in uh, the context of what we're interested in in the show of like what does it feel like when a a celebrity or like an artist that you love dies like right and there's examples in the past I i think the plan is to maybe go through those um do you mind if i start not at all okay i just want to start in sort of a timeline fashion i guess maybe you have someone who dates back before this but i don't (laughs) think so uh elvis elvis presley the king am i getting that name right Uh, i believe it's presley the king of rock and roll uh you know i think a lot of people are familiar with this story too like it's not it's pretty tropey in a lot of ways, obviously, it's such a huge part of our culture. And I say that without ever having, you know, looked up an Elvis Presley record or like, right. I don't well, well, know that in my life that I've ever sought out an Elvis Presley song to listen before, to. Before we go further, though, I want to I want you to explain a little bit more about what you mean by tropey, because I think I know what you mean. But like, you know what I mean? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think Elvis is the rock star trope, like someone who becomes so successful you know he, he's the first the first one we saw from beginning to end you know homebody uh farm boy learns how to play guitar does a weird dance gets a lot of attention for it starts making a lot of money starts taking a lot of drugs to deal with all the, the thoughts about the money gets surrounded by the wrong people ends up dead on a toilet Right. And I just think I just wanted to say that explicitly because I think all of those elements in a lot of ways since Elvis have become tropes. Yeah, absolutely. And that's yeah. sort of the basis for which we're judging from, you know, mm-hmm, totally. Um, and so, yeah, like I think his story is one that's 
fairly well recognized and known. I, I want to talk about like the last, you know, like the last part of his life. His career's in decline. He's not recording as much. Um, he's toured sort of prolifically, and like a lot of what that meant was uh, various addictions to various drugs, um, gaining a lot of weight. Um, he he wasn't like his, you know RCA was unhappy that he hadn't been recording. Uh, eventually his father, uh, fires his friends who are his bodyguards. Mm. Um, and they decide to write a book about his drug habits, basically as like an expose attention media piece, um, which hurts him a lot. Um, but he's, you know, like he's already in a bad place. And a lot of those guys are saying, were saying and have been saying that they were trying to help him. They were trying to get him out of that. So this is like, you know, America's rock star. Like this guy is like, he lived the dream. He he was like uh, this shining example of uh, fortuitousness and, and, you know, all these things that we associated with that time period specifically uh, with like what a young man could represent and could become, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like strength, vitality and all of that. And, and it turns out he wasn't, he didn't have any of that. He wasn't any of that, you know. He was a weak guy who was very addicted to drugs. Um, so the night that he's supposed to start his tour, uh, his fiance walks in and finds him collapsed on the toilet. Um, and there are various understandings of his um, coroner's report. You know, some of them say that he had uh, a cardiac arrest. Some of them say that it was definitely overdose. Some, it's like a lot of the same thing, but it's like, it was hard to tell, I guess. Um, yeah. But it's also just such a, like, just such a terrible way to go visually, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. for the, the story that has to come after this, you know. Um, and what comes after that is is so intriguing to me because it's what he becomes known for, you know. That's definitely a part of his legacy, but it's not it's not what continues to define him. Uh, you know, the president, Jimmy Carter, at the time, issues a statement uh, about him, saying that he was an American hero. His One of his cousins takes a bribe of $18,000 to take a photograph of the corpse at the funeral. 80,000 people are en route to Forest Hill Cemetery. You know, 80,000 people mm-hmm. to, to watch him get buried. It was such a massive crowd that two people were killed by a car that plowed into the crowd. <laughs> no like, way. Like, like it's, it was such an event. So, so why do you, why do you think? I mean, like, what that? Why was that so disappointing to people, or why was that so moving? I mean, and this is something that we're gonna keep like coming back to, I guess. But yeah, like... for sure. I mean, I think it's, you know, people want to assume that that guy who had found so much success and who had seemingly work so hard to find it would continue to do so you know and and it's i think especially disturbing to your image of what the idealistic songwriter or or musician or pop star you know and this is like one of the very first of those that were yeah yeah. was recognized within the context of like the media bubble that we have you know and and nothing like we what we have today like i can't imagine elvis today but just with newspaper and tv like this guy was in the spotlight like one of the first people to be the victim of the limelight and the victim of what celebrity has meant in modern american culture um Mm -hmm. and he dies on the toilet of a drug overdose you know yeah yeah 
Yeah, and I, and I really uh, like. I think I want to highlight the your use of words like a victim of of celebrity because that's like, like kind of something I want to drill into more. Yeah, uh, but so someone tries to steal his body from the graveyard a couple of months later. Jesus, <laughs> and his remains and his mother's are then moved to Graceland permanently. Um, but you know, Graceland, like, Graceland being his home that's famously turned into a shrine. Yes, um, right. and he uh, posthumously. His singles go up to the top ten on Billboard. Uh, he gets in, uh, in inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um, Forbes in two thousand five declared him the top earning deceased celebrity, which is such a dark title. When was that? To yeah. bestow, that was two thousand five. Wow! So still all the way in two thousand five because it's crazy. I mean, it, there's so many firsts there where it's like, yeah, like it's something that also famously happened with like people like Tupac or whatever, right? Where like they kept releasing. Yeah, previously unreleased material. That might or, not. Like, Two thousand five not might not be the right year for that. I don't know. I can't read my own notes. But then there are all these conspiracies that come up, like uh, that he faked his own death. He was tired mm-hmm. of the celebrity. Um, every year, thousands of people gather at Graceland on the anniversary of his death for a candlelight vigil. Um, and he's still one of the best-selling solo artists ever. You know, he has like right. a spider named after him. He has right. a sandwich named after him. Uh, right, right. President Trump awarded him the Presidential Medal of Freedom. There's a, there's a photo of him and Nixon shaking hands, famously. Yeah, he's such an iconic cultural figure, and that story is so weird because, you know, he was obviously a guy who was troubled and had like all of these things going on, but none of that really, I think, made as big of an impact in the cultural understanding that we have of him. Yeah, that the, yeah. it was easier to see him as this uh, huge figure of vitality who who would take on the stage and, and belt his heart out and like be a, a rock and roll king, you know, and mm-hmm. it, none of that falls into place with uh, a guy who had uh, a, a huge like psychological disorder or had been mentally unstable for some time and had a pretty harrowing addiction. Yeah. who died on a toilet you know like those two images are so completely separate and distinct mm-hmm. from one another but yeah, still he's or, yeah. celebrated all the same i totally. think that's really interesting to see that it's like i guess i see that as one of the first pop icons that we've seen who who dies that way yeah and i think it also introduces or, or reminds me that there's like you know one way to organize these artists who have who've passed is like I think Elvis in many ways is a first for a lot of things like we were just saying, but he's also specifically an over the hill artist who died, which is distinct from the artist who dies in their prime. Yeah, sure. Right. Um, and like, they're, you know, sad for different reasons, sometimes similar reasons, you know what I mean? But like, it's, it's, there's just something specifically tragic about someone dying before they've achieved what, we imagine is possible for them yeah versus someone who you know like elvis had kind of like uh his career had sort of jumped the shark by that point right and and so there's like just kind of a different attitude that we approach that with um yeah but that that's it's a super good place to start i think yeah do do you have any other any other thoughts about elvis uh i think that's it for me for elvis do you have uh you, you have one that comes next maybe and not it, we don't have to think about it in timeline or anything like that but do you have one that you could jump off I mean, I was. to 
Yeah, I mean, I think it is helpful in some ways to think about it in terms of a historical timeline, too, because celebrity sure. has changed so much. Yeah. Um, and I think mine is kind of like a little bit parallel to to Elvis. I mean, like the peak of Elvis's career is in the 50s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then he, when did he, what year did he die? Uh, unfortunately, like, I did not write that down. So I'm going to assume maybe in the 70s. Yeah, I think it's probably 71, 74, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it might have been a little bit later but anyway um in the 50s now now i'm I, of course i don't have the the date of this opened up but um there's a day that's uh remembered as the day the music died which is when uh an airplane that had been carrying um buddy holly uh richie valens and the big bopper um three super big rock and roll musicians um crashed and they all died mm-hmm um and i think for a lot of reasons including the fact of like how evocative that story is and there's like a lot of like lore around it too where like the it was like a really miserable snowy tour that they were on and like i think like trucks were breaking down or like or like it was miserable inside of the the trucks if they were driving um from from tour date to tour date and so they were like flipping coins or like pulling lots to see who would get to be able to fly in the plane that ultimately crashed right so it had like this added element of like oh like you, you know like this romantic tragic uh quality um but i wanted to focus a little bit on on buddy holly here because and, and like, again like i'm less focused or i was less focused on like the actual narratives of of these individuals in in many cases and more like about like what the implications of these of the their deaths are kind of like for me yeah, but like yeah. i I like I like Buddy Holly's music a lot, um, even though, like you know, it's it's far from the hardest edged, you know, uh, uh, rock and roll out there. And it, he was kind of an example of like someone who was um, kind of cleaning up and buffing, a little bit like Elvis actually. You know, uh, the the kind of re- real rough core of uh, what rock and roll represented and was and, and is. You know, sure. Um, and but but he I think is really indicative of like what a pop star was and is, which is like someone who can be all things to all people, who's like blank enough, but has something there that is like compelling. He reminds me a little bit of um, another tragic '50s celebrity, James Dean, who right. like has this kind of like semi, you know, Chad jock energy, but also semi nerd nebbishness of like wearing like the the black rim glasses like James Dean and like you know seeming kind of bookish and like i think you know buddy holly came always came across as really traditional always wearing his like clean clean cut suit and having this like kind of high reedy voice that nonetheless he had like a certain kind of like sexuality um and rawness which is always the thing that like that rock and roll musicians were trading on you know like elvis included um but he was also able to like just be kind of a blank slate um ultimately i mean to me he's not that interesting as a person as far as i know you know what i mean um but hit the death of him uh, of you know like the end of his career and the end of Richie Valens career especially or two like two very young musicians especially especially in the case of Richie Valens um who it was just assumed they were going to go on and do a lot of things um and they were like just hugely popular at the time and then this kind of like seemingly random almost like natural disaster type event of, of the plane going down um just I think sparked people's imaginations in a similar way that Elvis's death did. <clears throat> that was oh, yeah. su- such a shock and such a subversion of people's expectations. Yeah. Um, 
to the point that like you know american pie is the song called american pie it's not is it is it <laughs> it's, is it called Again, the music folks, guide? we are not experts in any way um what's the fucking song called we don't even look up a lot of the facts that we want to put jordan forth. what's it called uh but you know, what I, you know what i mean no yeah like, i feel like bye i should bye, know. american pie yeah yeah it's called bye bye miss american pie <laughs> took my chevy to the levee but the levee was dry That's and the, the guy puts his thing in the, <laughs> in the... jason what's his drink name? drinking rye no that's, jason not, who? that's not his name what's the actress jason biggs <laughs> what <laughs> from the movie american pie oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. anyway Stay but... for... <laughs> All right, keep, um, continue, please. You know, I mean, there's got to be like a, some kind of like a frat college connection there, but I can't think of it. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I think it's just another one of those milestones of like mm, popular mourning yeah. for, for people that... But, but in this case, again, like distinct from artists who had already gone over the hill... You know, both of the, each of these artists, especially like Richie Valens and, and Buddy Holly, had a pretty limited um, discography at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Like that, that is such a bigger blow in so many ways because there's this potential that you're also mourning. You know, you're not just mourning a life. You're, you're mourning that they didn't get to do all of the stuff. Right. And this is a case of like this kind of veers a little bit off from what I was thinking more about, which was risk taking behavior, you know, because like this is really an accident yeah uh, truly but but I, I think i also want to say a few things about like just the 50s and i think this is kind of like the beginning of like like you were, we were just saying like of celebrity in the in the modern sense that we really understand it i mean it happened earlier in like the early 20th century you know and there's like lots of tragic star figures especially actors from that period like judy garland and shirley temple um child actors you know and people who were like canaries in the coal mine sort of of like the kind of the ways that like fame um can can warp you uh but by the 50s i think that was really coalescing and like hollywood is like a thing that people really understand and we have the you know really prominent death of, of marilyn monroe yeah. um and like the kind of emergence of psychoanalysis sure uh, she, she was she was seeing a psychoanalyst at the time uh notably but also james dean um who you know famously crashed his car uh, driving super fast in LA. Um, and I think that's kind of like the beginning of this period of time where we see all these people um, becoming immortalized and this notion of like celebrities who die, especially young, almost as martyrs, um, or like we've invested so much energy and, and emotion and, and all this kind of stuff into them starting in this point. And it's also when people are really starting to think critically about celebrity because it's like it's existed that long that like people like Andy Warhol are like making those composite images of, of, Marilyn Monroe and whatever else and really trying to think through what it how we can turn people into objects yeah that are, that are bought and sold you know right um so yeah. I, to me that's that I guess I'm not ultimately all that interested in Buddy Holly as a person in in this you know lens sort of it's, it's more interesting to me like the fact that this is that period marked by um things like the day the music died or the death of James Dean or the death of Marilyn Monroe as like this, this moment when like we're increasingly just a public is becoming more mediated and becoming more invested and more obsessed with these people that we'll never meet. Yeah. But, right. Um, For sure. So, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, what, when's your when's your next part in the timeline? We we can, like well, coordinate this. I think the years might go on, but I think uh, what you're saying about being held up as like a martyr for a generation, you know, like that kind of thing, uh, leads me to my next subject. Oh God damn, segways. Kurt Cobain. Oh my God, we're, just, <laughs> we're jumping uh, right over the sixties and seventies, yeah. huh? It's kind of a time travel trip right now, <laughs> but but I think it fits a lot of those stereotypes, you know, and like uh again we didn't organize this in a way like that it, it, and i think it's better because it's more of a free-flowing mm-hmm. conversation about different aspects of of this idea you know uh, yeah, yeah. but yeah kurt cobain obviously fits so much of that format um i think the main difference here is the way that it gets perceived in the media and the way that we collectively talk about it um you know if you don't know that story um obviously a very depressed uh very inwardly focused um mentally uh artist kurt cobain the lead singer of nirvana you know he had a family history of suicide and and mental illness and depression and alcoholism uh he was addicted to heroin he'd had multiple suicide attempts you know um all of this is to say that uh he was eventually sent to rehab you know, uh, after his wife, Courtney Love, had called the police multiple times to their Seattle home and they'd confiscated guns, guns from him. They'd confiscated pills from him. Um, uh, so eventually he goes to rehab in L.A. And one day he jokes about how insane it would be to try to jump the fence. And then later that day, he goes out to smoke a cigarette and jumps the fence. Um, Damn and finds his way somehow to LAX where he gets on a plane and sits next to Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses. Hmm. This is true. Um, who recounts that story of, of thinking it was really strange, like that Kurt was very happy to see him, like very happy. Uh, but there was something off. He could just tell you know, from being around like junkies for a long time. Like you could just tell something was going on. So presumably Kurt then flies back to Seattle. Uh, this isn't the last days of his life um, as Nirvana is continuing to climb the charts and continuing to become the, the face of what is grunge music in the nineties. You know, they, they were the, maybe I, w- I don't want to say the word palatable. They were the, the band that became known, you know, in a way that was radio friendly in a way that was, generationally accepted sort of across the board as this this band that uh in they took on a lot of that angst a lot of that displaced lost sentiment and they embodied it in a way and they they were able to express a lot of these feelings that are a little too complex to have been uh put into words by the previous generations um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but also in some ways were unique to that generation too very unique yeah definitely and so he goes back to Seattle and is somewhere. Uh, mm-hmm. Courtney Love hires a private investigator to track him down um, who fails. Um, there are a couple of days where uh, they back out of Lollapalooza mm-hmm. and the rumors start up um, that the band is breaking up now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then his body is found by an electrician with a suicide <laughs> note from his imaginary friend, um, and there's um 
a public vigil, you know, that night with 7,000 mourners in Seattle, Mm. um, around the world, people are playing Nirvana tapes, um, are listening to his music, are cherishing him. And this is in my mind, a reflection of where we were at as a, uh, as a society and a culture with our understanding of mental health and how we're, um, looking into that, you know, how we're Mm -hmm. accepting it in others and, and, talking about it you know what were we talking about before this with any of the number of artists or or people who had been suffering from this kind of thing before and he was like i think such an image in so many ways and such a martyr in so many ways and so young in so many ways it's it's a lot of the same echoes of different artists who have passed away in that way in the past um but people mourn him in this the strange way, you know, our, our narrative starts to get warped by, I think the power of the media and the power of the rumor mill, you know, we start to, there start to be these rumors of like, you know, maybe he didn't kill himself. Maybe it wasn't him. Isn't this a little too perfect? Like, isn't it staged? Maybe he didn't want to be famous. Like specifically that Courtney love killed him. Well, specifically that common, but yeah. uh, you know, like the, the the private investigator comes out and says, "I don't think he did it to himself." You know, and like, the one who couldn't fucking find him. <laughs> yeah, it and it becomes this thing <laughs> where shitty he PI. where he felt like he was being led on a wild goose chase by love, huh. and, and so right. I and I don't want to get into like the specifics of that stuff necessarily. I more I more sure, sure. want to talk about like, you know, because there's this this weird amount of cultural mysticism that surrounds his death, like. Yeah, we're very fascinated by, you know, the what ifs of this situation. Like, mm-hmm. what if he didn't want to do it himself? You know, isn't it perfect that his imaginary friend wrote his suicide note? You know, isn't it perfect that he was found alone in this way and the gun was at this angle and, and all this other stuff? And like, you know, documentaries come out, multiple documentaries over the, the last like three or four decades, not mm-hmm. three or four decades. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's insane. That have just focused on this, on this story, you know? Right, right. Um, and it's, it is sad, but it's, it's crazy that we've accumulated all of this uh, fascination with one guy's death. Mm-hmm. And, th- and then that's what we want to focus on is like, you know, whether it was real or not. It's, it's this like collective, uh, unrational thought machine mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and we really want like perfect narratives that are tied up in a way yeah. that makes us feel comfy and safe and like we understand what happened and there's something explicable someone's to blame sure and and i think a lot of the things just get more complicated and disturbing as you watch those documentaries and you see footage of kurt holding his his daughter and talking about how happy he is and you know they come up with these reasons in the documentaries like, you know, he was suffering from stomach pain for so long. And, and then there's a shot of him like, yeah, yeah, no, I actually switched to this medication. And I'm like, fine. You right. know, it's a huge relief. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you're like, well, OK, maybe that wasn't it. Then then what was it, man? Right. It's such a weird, uh, weird rabbit hole to dive down into. Um, but, you know, even today, like we see people gathering on the anniversary of his death, you know, and he was in the, the 27 club, which is a whole strange forever organism of this, that of, you know, people included in the club of musicians who have died on the 27th birthday or before that. Um, mm-hmm. 
the Seattle police still receive quests, uh, requests to reopen the investigation all the time. Um, he actually took the place of Elvis as the top earning deceased celebrity. And I don't have the year for that. So now I feel like an idiot that I said that earlier. <laughs> yeah, but at some point he did. Uh, Billy Corgan of Smashing Pumpkins called him the Michael Jordan of his generation. So just a dick, basically, Which, uh, <laughs> is what yeah. he's saying. That's, that's I'm not, not sure a very nice thing to say, Billy. I'm not sure what Billy meant by that. <laughs> yeah. You can just fly through the air like an angel. Yeah, I think it's interesting to me because there's it's obviously such a tragic story. Anyone who's committing suicide is so it's tragic. The uh, amount of work that we want to assume that he potentially left undone, you know, the amount of yeah. of songwriting that he could have accomplished had it not been for these uh, issues with his mental health. You know, if if he'd had the right help, you know, you want to say all these what ifs, right? Like that, there's could be such a a larger body of work from Nirvana, but. Yeah. I mean, another thing that I've picked up about his story that we haven't talked too much about, but it was like, again, like a primary concern for me in terms of all this stuff and thinking about celebrity death is like, um, he's someone who explicitly struggled with fame. Yeah. Right. And talked about it a lot. And talked about it a lot. And, and you know, like, like, I mean, had mental health issues that I think were related to that, but I think also struck me as a pretty, someone who's, you know, again, I didn't know them person. I didn't know him personally, obviously, but like, an ethical person or someone who was like, you know, really concerned about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and in some ways that links him to his general, to gen X who arguably one of their primary, one of the primary concerns of that generation is like not selling out and being authentic. Um, and like, there's like by the nineties, there's like a real understanding that's pervaded kind of popular culture that like, there's a lot of stuff that's over, that's super commodified. That's hollowed out. That doesn't mean anything you know tv shows like friends or, or whatever it is you know that just like is indicative of that total vacuousness that like it has no, no core meaning to it and i think bands like nirvana and individuals like kurt were like couldn't stand that right that it's like yeah. it's like deeply abhorrent to them as as people um and i think that was something that was happening generationally for for people his age and people that were making the kind of music that he was or making alternative music at the time but I think that's another thing that I'm interested in is like how or to what degree the risk, the kind of risky behavior that these artists that we consider like special individuals and geniuses and people who are capable of expressing truths that other people just aren't the way that I think often they're not as exceptional as we think or they're in some ways they're like heightened, exaggerated um, examples of like the same kind of stuff that other people of their generation are working through. Right. Yeah. Yeah absolutely do you um, have uh do you have another pick yeah well real real quick i just wanted to go back and just say briefly that like the forever 27 club i think either comes into existence or like gets the core group of its members in the 60s and 70s right right janice joplin jimmy hendrix um uh jim morrison right sure which ones i mean we could we could spend all day talking I mean, I think, about it, celebrity debts, but 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 I think it's it's important to I mean you know maybe not important but like it's useful to look at like if we're t- looking at it in terms of a timeline a little bit too it's like there yeah, was kind definitely. of like a little bit of the shock had worn off by the sixties and seventies you know that was like uh, super present maybe in the case of like Elvis or like the day the music died or like you know um, there was almost like an attitude of like this is kind of part of the deal 
I think by the 60s and 70s. There's sure. like it's like in, uh, even more romantic like romanticized. Yeah, yeah. Um even more of like yeah, like again, I don't know who coined the Forever 27 club or what year that might have been, but I think like that narrative is increasingly coming to existence um during that time. Uh another so but then the other example another example that I have is um Selena who um was also like uh you know a contemporary of Kurt Cobain's in the 90s and she's one of these people who I think at least for me helped me focus on another aspect of these musicians who who die she's one of those artists who was like in their prime or actually hadn't quite crested yet right right and um and she's someone who I think is understood as super unique in terms of her ability to bring together different like crossover audiences and mix um not only mix genres and and cultural traditions but do so in a way that is indisputably pop and popular so she was specifically mixing like tejano music um with other kind of latin american styles like cumbia and salsa um she's like really like a pan playing like pan latin american music even though she's from texas and playing a really specific uh, kind of or like specializing in a type of that kind of music but she's someone who like was raised in a in a family band who her father was like deeply involved in her music all along almost like a manager or in in fact was her manager at some point um very young 23 uh when she when she died yeah. um but, but she's actually someone who you know <laughs> again like there's almost like a, another category or subcategory of of dead <laughs> musicians uh or people who were killed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like Marvin Gaye, yeah, also famously, um, which is like again, like it's all its own flavor of this kind of tragedy, I guess. But, but in her case, is really interesting. I mean, she's like one of these people who's like a shining star, like rocketing, you know, up the charts and and uh, just shows so much promise. Um, she's kind of like you know a Britney Spears, but like uh, a Latina Britney Spears, and 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 you know maybe a decade or two. Well, yeah, like, 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 I guess contemporary with people like Shakira um, and, and artists like that. But I think in a way that um, people expected to be bigger than anything that any kind of Latin artist in the U.S. that had, had been before um, and undoubtedly extremely talented. Um, but the way she ended up dying was um, a friend of hers who was her manager actually killed her because um, it seems like it turns out she she was embezzling money and... You know, who knows? I haven't looked too far into it. Uh, in terms, like, there's like I started watching like an interview with her with with the the woman who killed her on like YouTube, and I was like, I don't feel like I'm getting anything from this. But, <laughs> but uh, I th- I think actually a documentary is going to be coming out this year sometime on Netflix That'd about cool. Selena. So yeah, so I'm yeah. really interested to to see that. But it really is. I mean, you know, you talk about the price of fame. You know, and and another thing that we haven't really touched on yet, but that I think we'll, we might talk about more if, when we get to the little peep documentary is the the kind of communities that tend to gather around you when you are famous is that like you're held up as like a special individual often someone who's unique and, and has like some kind of inborn talent and i think to, to many, in many cases that's true like selena's an example of that obviously extremely talented person but also that can't be separated from the fact that she was brought up in a musical family that was like performing from the time she was a kid etc cetera, etc cetera. um but also that she was providing for her family and for a whole team of people whose paychecks were dependent on her and her success. And that people 
take advantage of that. And that like any other worker, to some extent, celebrities are exploited or can be. You know what I mean? Many times are not in complete control, do not have complete agency. Many times are young, many times are really sensitive and, and you know, like like people who are struggling with either mental illness or have some, you know, some kind of are in touch with it, with their emotions or, or particularly observant of the world or whatever it is that like helps them tap into um, something that touches a wide group of people, right? Yeah. Um, but just, it's such a clear example of the predatory side of uh and the and the fact that music is an industry mm-hmm. um and then in many ways these artists who we see as so powerful and who are held up as who are idealized and idolized right like they held up as perfection and we give them so much admiration you know almost an excessive amount in many cases an excessive amount um that yeah i don't know does that does that make sense <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah um I, I think it's yeah, it's interesting to see where we're at also in the timeline with that, you know, of like mm-hmm. this is where we start to see the effects of an industry on these people, you know, that an industry that at the time of Elvis and Buddy Holly hadn't really been formed in the way that we recognize it today. And you know, even today it's like completely changed, you know. Right. There are these executives, there's like all of these people who are trying to make decisions for you when you get to a certain caliber of artist or or of like record sales obviously and and when you're an artist like like selena like so beloved like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh it's really like the the richness of what she put into the world is so widespread um mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's crazy to think that that wasn't enough to float her you know right that it was well that I- yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, too, is like, I mean, and this is something I was thinking about a lot was like, to what extent are celebrities special in yeah. terms of the troubles they face, you know, like, I, I'm not sure, but I, I have a sense that like, in a lot of ways, they share the same kind of travails that we all do, but they're heightened in so many ways by their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And by, you know, yeah, the way they the way they make their living. Um, and the way that industry is set up, you know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, do you have have another one coming up? I do. I have, I think this might be a little bit shorter, but it's uh, John Prine, Mm -hmm. who's one of my my favorites, uh, who just passed away recently. And, um, I feel like a lot of people might not know John Prine, like so far, out of people we've talked about, I think he's maybe a little bit lesser known. I think. In in the narrative of John Prine, I think that's one of the more endearing qualities is that he's like mm-hmm. kind of unknown and a little bit of that is on purpose, maybe. Um you know, see so, so he gets um he's like the working man's Bob Dylan is how he he's described okay. in a lot of okay. ways. Um he he's discovered by Chris Christopherson uh, and Jerry Wexler in a in a bar in Chicago. Uh, and they watched the tail end of his set, I believe is the story. And there's no one in the bar. No one's watching him. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they ask him to do it all over again. Yeah. And he, he sort of recognizes who they are and, and he does it um, and signs a record deal within the week. That, that's the that's the story. And this is like coming from a time when 
those stories might be a little bit far fetched, but it's it's nice and it fits the narrative in all these ways, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Prior to that, John had been a mailman. He'd uh, served in Vietnam. Uh, he'd done his time as a as a working class guy, you know. And Salt would, of the earth. And he would write these songs as a mailman going from house to house. And so cool. Spending the whole day by himself and just writing a fucking song in his head. So like, fucking cool, dude. And that's why, <laughs> yeah, and that's part of, like, why his character is so interesting to me is that he's just, like, even in interviews, you know, he's he just wants you to know that he's like you. He's He's like everybody. He's like, he's like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, when I'm writing songs, I just have to be fast enough with the pen honestly you know like there's nothing like his thing is there is nothing special about me um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is not to say that he didn't have some sort of a a sense of braggadocio but but he wanted to he wanted to write about everyday experiences and that's what he was able to to capture and so yeah. much of his music at such an important time you know writing a song like uh jesus don't care for your your flag decal anymore oh my god your flag decal won't get you into heaven anymore and like classic uh you know writing a song like sam stone about a a vietnam vet coming back and uh, being addicted to heroin and 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 like legendary shit dude yeah and like very dark stuff uh angel from montgomery my favorite like writing from a perspective that was that's my shit dude so unique and so like complex and and uh but it's like it's yeah. like that kitchen table tragedy where it's like yeah. the mundane daily difficulties that that right. people have well and he wasn't trying to be verbose in any way he wasn't trying to to intellectualize any of this stuff beyond what it could be expressed in a song and so well, but it, yeah but it's like his, hemingway or it's like yeah exactly yeah his power was in this simplistic and very powerful uh you know he was able to he was able to capture this stuff uh, yeah, yeah. in a really cool way. So he he passes away, uh, and this is after years of battle with cancer, um, mm-hmm. which he famously uh, had part of his throat and his, and his neck affected by from the surgery. Oh, excuse me, that was gross. Woo! Yeah, famously had cancer removed <laughs> from his throat and his vocal cords, and uh, the the doctor, I guess was a fan going into it the surgeon and said you know I, I just don't want this to affect your singing and he his famous <laughs> words were you know, have you heard me sing <laughs> uh which is oh, also God. just so badass man like so cool hell just yeah wanna, john want to hang out with that man cool guy uh cool guy. you know he also Agreed. adopted you know, he married his wife is uh, an irish woman whose son uh didn't have a father that he knew uh, mm-hmm. in any tangible way and it for years uh, offered to adopt that man, you know, mm-hmm. who was happy to become his son. Uh, it's just, he's just like an all around great guy uh, who lived in this relative obscurity uh, somewhere mm-hmm. in between the world of like folk music and country music and, and was beloved by all those artists. And even in the, in the contemporary era, you know, like he was, he asked uh, Kurt Vile to open for him in Philadelphia. Yeah. You know, he he knew who the big indie guys were, and and they fucking adored him, man. All, all the online leftists that I follow fucking love John Prine. Yeah, I mean Dan Auerbach, Jason Isbell, uh, 
lost money just going on the road to open for him because why would you say no like that's right the chance to do that you know the totally. dude went to uh paris he went to go on mm. tour in europe because he just wanted to go to paris he never played there before and his manager told him there's no reason for you to do this you know you're not going to play in a, a club that's uh relative to your size in, in any other country you know and he said, I don't care. I just want to go stay at this hotel and order room service. <laughs> he's just, you know, he's like simple guys, simple pleasures. Uh, and it's great. That's why he's so lovable. He uh, he won a Lifetime Achievement Award from from the Grammys, uh, from the Americana Music Association. Um, he, he, re- he comes back from cancer and records one of his greatest albums, Like especially for an artist like that who his material – would have been thought to have been dealt out in his, his prime, you know, Yeah, that we're done with it. And uh, he comes back and records a record that's incredible. And it's touching all of the bases that he had before. And it, it just hits all the strides. Um, he dies of complications related to the coronavirus and he and his wife lived together. He was separated from her in the upstairs of their house for a number of days and was seemed to be fine um but one day at the top of the stairs just told his wife that he didn't think he could stay awake any longer and uh it was pretty short after that um anyway he's he's such a beloved uh figure in in so many different music scenes you know and people come out to do live stream tributes and do song after song um one of them gets organized and it features like Jeff Tweedy, Kevin Morby, Grace Potter, uh, a lot of these big names that aren't just country and aren't just folk and aren't just indie or, you know, it's like a, it's all across the board. All of these people who had drawn influence from this guy, which is so in, incredible to see, especially at this time when uh, we're wondering how, how do you mourn someone like that, you know, and we're seeing this literal uh, example of it come across your screen on Instagram, you know, you can tap in whatever you want you can look at the the videos on youtube there's one that uh john darniel uh one of my favorite songwriters from the mountain goats does uh, a cover of uh a john prine song and he's very visibly teared up you know he's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he's pretty torn up about it and like he's having a hard time keeping himself together and it's uh totally. all very visceral especially a couple weeks ago when i think the emotional weight of everything we're going through was a little bit more than it is now or maybe just heavier i'm, I'm not sure well, yeah yeah i mean what what is it with that because i think <clears throat> you know yeah now we're talking about the present and and corona and um for me there's definitely like a s- special kind of frustration and like mixture of those same emotions of like you know disappointment and loss and things that i get yeah. when like an artist that i like passes away but then in this case i mean you know literally when was when is the last time in in u.s history that that we've you know been faced with a pandemic that's just literally you know killing so many people right uh and i think you know we're not a we're not a politics podcast but god damn it if i'm not political and i'll just say that um these are totally unnecessary deaths in a lot of ways or many of these are you know like this has been really mismanaged so there's an, an extra element of like you know a feeling like these people didn't need to didn't need to go yet. certainly yeah you know what i mean that's and like that's always thing. the case but but i don't know there's a little bit more clear cause and effect here where it's like i don't know it just smarts a little more in a different way yeah for sure um, yeah 
but he gets uh you know now he's praised as a working class hero you know a folk hero um someone who sees things for the what they are and, and you know tells it like it is and that's right i think very unique and original and he was an obscure artist who maintained this obscurity uh maybe not on purpose all the time but you know who had made choices to live more on the side of obscurity than in the other side mm-hmm. um yeah i just think it's interesting to see that example where it's like uh i don't want to say perfect obviously no one's perfect there's a narrative there that's more than what we understand or what we're going to ever be told but um it's interesting to see someone like that who's like just gone out on uh the random chance of you know reaching old age in the age of covid and Mm -hmm. you know he gets celebrated in a way that i don't think we've seen in our examples so far you know because there's no drama to the tragedy in the way that there's like a suicide or there's a drug overdose or there's a murder there's just yeah it's really clinical almost or just like yeah and that's part of what makes it so disappointing too is Mm -hmm. that like it like because like like i was just saying like i you know in some ways it really is murder sure but also it we're like even robbed of that narrative you know what i mean like well and he is really just past his prime too like and it's totally like um yeah well but but, and yeah also like you know a lot of these artists i think that are dying of corona many of them are older are elders you know who are like uniquely vulnerable Mm -hmm. um to the virus you know what i mean but like it's just like yeah i don't know it's yet to be seen like what the what the effects of this really are going to be um on yeah like legacies of musicians and whatever else but uh yeah like again like i don't know so I have written a few notes about about Prince, but more than anything, I'm kind of interested in like these broader, broader strokes. But I'll, I'll just say briefly about Prince, like he's someone again, we're jumping around in the timeline. He's he died uh, in the 2010s. Yeah. But um, he's someone who more cleanly falls into that kind of uh, risk taking behavior kind of artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or death because he you know he died of, of an overdose he seemed like he was struggling with it uh kind of pretty well hidden or, or like he just wasn't a public figure especially in, in many ways for the toward the end of his life well that's well hidden. um yeah right like he he, he wasn't wait what was well hidden what'd you say <laughs> <laughs> not being a public figure you know well, yeah yeah totally he obviously like, could have at any moment chosen to be right and he but he, he was like he had part of why he's so significant I think in the history of music is partly because he was one of those forward looking musicians mm-hmm. who like made kind of like unimaginable strides uh, and like was like so forward thinking and has always been pushing and, and continue to put out music and has built up such a mystique, you know? Um, uh, but also because he was, he was at the forefront of struggling for agency as an artist that he famously, you know, uh, called himself the artist formerly known as Prince because the the t- name Prince had been trademarked and was being controlled by Sony. You know what I mean? Um, so he was like right, right on the forefront of like telling artists and especially artists of color that you should you should own your stuff. You know what I mean? You should have complete control over your work 
don't let yourself be taken advantage of. Right. Um, and to me, that gets at like this kind of broader thing that, I, that I've been thinking about in terms of celebrities, celebrity death and its relationship to us and as audiences um, <clears throat> is that, you know, we're all exploited speaking broadly, like not speaking about the people who are like running the country, you know, or like the, the super rich, you know, people in boardrooms and whatever else, right. That we're all being taken advantage of in this world. Um, and the same is true of artists in, in a sense. Right. And like, that's something that Prince was like right on the forefront of, but that um, living in this world where like things are upside down and like people who are in prison should actually, actually deserve to be free and people who are free and have the most power in the world actually deserve to be, if not in prison, then punished, you know what I mean? Or held to account for the things that they've done. So we live in that kind of world. Um, and let's see, wait, where was I going with that? <laughs> uh, uh, I'm not sure, buddy. We live in that kind of world and that alienates us, right? Yeah all in different ways and, and that's one of the reasons i think why we take risks as people sure um it's because we're like i just want to either we just want to feel something because we're numb and everything just feels so fake or you know what i mean like it's some combination of that thing that like we we take risks um and i think there's a lot of n negative stereotypes along lines of race and, and gender and things like that around everybody but especially around artists um in terms of that kind of risk-taking behavior like there's an assumption that artists of color are worse at managing money for example, right? And they're like, if they get rich, they'll inevitably lose it um, because there's just like the culture of poverty is some kind of, you know, is this bullshit that, that has been touted as justification for why inequality persists, you know what I mean? Um, but the reality is that like, yeah, like to, to various degrees, we're all, even rich people, this is the kind of insight that we get from celebrities, right? Even people who are like touted or like are, are shown to us as like the pinnacle of success, um, uh, they are struggling with being a person in this world. You know what I mean? And like, and like being supposedly that pinnacle, being a cipher that we fill with all, like we like project all of our anxieties and hopes and dreams onto because we're being denied yeah. opportunities to, to express ourselves in our own lives. You know what I mean? So it, I think that just really gets it like why it's such a deep disappointment many times or so shocking when they die, when they die young, when they die old, when they, you know, it's a different kind of shock when like an artist that you really admire becomes uh, old and, and, and bad, you know what I mean, hack and like, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, but we're so shocked because we've, you know, in a lot of ways we've, we're relying on them to kind of fill uh, a hole for us in our lives. Right. You know what I mean? That actually they realize that they, you know, many of them struggle with the fact like Kurt Cobain, you know, it's like, I can't be that. Yeah you know um so anyway i mean I, I think prince is interesting for as as an example of that too as someone who like struggled his entire career for autonomy and control um and challenged just about every boundary that you can kind of imagine in terms of genre and everything else and like inspires countless people and um you know and, and then yeah felt fell prey to his own you know, uh, sadness or, or, or the difficulties he was facing in his life, like anyone, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like fentanyl overdoses, like op opioid addiction is like a primary way that, that, that Americans are dying. You know what I mean? Sure. Well, it's interesting to, to see an, another person that the people really worship, you know, like, uh, mm -hmm. 
that will go to Paisley Park. Uh, right, another shrine. Tour, yeah. Another, yeah, very much like a, a place of worship for this guy that was a symbol for so many reasons, you know, metatextually and otherwise. Like he was, he was a lot of things to a lot of people, and uh, mm-hmm. seemed to be able to embody that somehow. Like that was, I think, I think that's the power of Prince is that he was somehow. Uh, you know, celestial in that way that he was able to be all of those things for people and be that in like a, a way that uh, seemed confident <laughs> or, or something, you know? Totally. Uh, but realistically there is this like underlying tension that, that we don't hear about, you don't see mm-hmm. about, you know, because I think a lot of it is just that he was a, an immaculate performer mm-hmm. in totally. everything that he did. Yeah. yeah. This also reminds me of um, a time that we were all at, like when uh at karaoke and someone was uh, was singing uh someone that was not in our crew was singing uh i would die for you and yeah. i was talking to our mutual friend who was kind of suspicious of that notion you know what i mean i was like oh man this is my fucking song dude you know and uh he was like i don't know about this i don't know about all this i would die for you shit you know what i mean and i'm like yeah well i don't know like for me the the idea of devotion is really powerful um and i think and i think what i said to him was like you can also be devoted to like an idea you know what i mean or committed to like a notion like it doesn't have to be a person um but i think that is kind of like what i think that's something that we see with a lot of artists too is try like and maybe this is a good segue if we're done with this part of the conversation to to the doc but like um trying to be everything to everybody yeah you know what i mean or like this this i mean like and and prince was someone who like was flirting with religion and passion and sexuality and all those kinds of things throughout his career, but being, you know, really that kind of attitude of like sacrifice and explicitly martyrdom, you know what I mean? Um, But I guess I really question a lot of times how much we actually learn from these, what, what, what happens in these cases, right? Because a lot of these people who are like, again, like examples of success are actually deeply unhappy very true you know and it reminds me of an insight from uh one of my favorite authors and and thinkers bell hooks who points out in the book all about love that no matter how powerful an individual might be if they haven't if they don't have a firm foundation of love uh, which many people don't unfortunately um they will often sabotage themselves no matter how powerful they are and she she gives the example of bill clinton true you know what i mean um they'll like in whether it's infidelity or drug abuse or yeah like whatever risky behavior it is it seems like many people unconsciously or not once they reach those heights of, of control or fame or celebrity can still undercut themselves you know and often do yeah do we uh are we ready to to move into the last phase i think so phase three okay chance at a night like this you can hold my hand in the back of the whip some punk at the club came back with the brick those are little peep lyrics (laughs) (laughs) well now they're immortalized forever on our podcast thank god so yeah we're next up we're gonna talk about hey we're back a larger depiction of, I guess, what 
all the things we've been talking about really you know yeah, yeah. all of the aspects of what a celebrity death looks like what it looks like when a, a musician an artist uh passes away in our culture and you know how we respond to it or how we shape that narrative uh and it's about who max well we watched a little film called everybody's everything uh which came out recently about the musician little peep um uh a very young artist who was kind of similar to selena in some ways you're not or maybe prince was like blending things that people didn't really think could be blended or was kind of a part of a, a wave um of sure. emergent emergent style in terms of music and fashion and all this kind of stuff um who yeah who passed away young tell me this what was your um experience with this artist beforehand like before you watched a documentary it's funny i'm glad we're bringing we're talking about this now because i feel like a lot of artists who have passed away recently in the past number of years i've come to for the first time when i hear about their passing and Lil peep is definitely one of those for me Mm -hmm. who i'd never really engaged with his music before i heard about him dying and like you know read an article here heard a podcast there about them and their music and and heard something in their music that i was like oh okay like this is different and i want to i want to listen to that and um yeah like like, their music kind of appealed to me uh just on a gut level yeah yeah i mean the same for me and i I think that's another one of the the powers of uh this weird collective mourning thing we do with Mm -hmm. these musicians you know that some of us feel extremely special to um have listened to the beastie boys for forever you know uh or like to have listened to uh an artist like johnny cash for forever so you know there's all these ones you can take to heart in a way that makes you feel like you're special because they were special uh and they were your pattern i do i know you want to say something right now yeah well you know i'm wrong actually because i had learned about little peep and heard his music like right before he died i remember Uh, that now That it was like specifically like I had just heard his music mm-hmm. and then like a week later or something like that, um, uh, he had died. So it was actually uh, a little distinct from other experiences that I've had in that area. Yeah, but well, I think also it, it's still there's this aspect of like, you know, you don't hear from the other side, like the people mm-hmm. that are like. And this is like the intended outcome, I think, in a lot of ways, is to be like, dang, you know, John Prine passed away. His music meant a lot to me, and I can share a, a song. And hopefully, mm-hmm. if you've never heard it before, you can listen to it, and it does something for you. Like, that's the whole purpose of the of anything. It's to like, yeah. like, does this work for you? Does this do anything for you? Like, I hope it does. There's no reason to uh, to pursue it if it doesn't. Right. Right. Is, you know? is this good for you? Yeah. Hopefully this is going to affect you in a way that affected me and it will be beneficial. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we don't talk about that as much as we talk about people who are like, oh, my God, Tom Petty meant the most to me. Right. My name, right. I was Mary Jane. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I legally changed my name to Mary Jane. And it's yeah. it's like interesting to see those that reaction to it. Um but it's also kind of like heartbreaking because there can be an experience like this one that I think I had with little peep at least where I hadn't experienced his music at all. And I kind of went into the dock with a total, you know, blind spot. Mm -hmm. I I wasn't really sure what to expect. You know, I had expectations, but um, I think a lot of them were 
pretty uh, wrong. Like they were broken mm-hmm. pretty fast because I think I was very impressed. Lay, lay out your assumptions first. I want to hear those. I thought it was going to be, I thought his music was going to be very artificial or like cosmetic in some way, you know? Mm-hmm. Corny. Yeah, or that it was going to subsist mostly on like um, the artifice of like fashion or on all of the things that uh, that era of in my mind like internet artists work Mm -hmm. off the basis of like here's what it looked like on tiktok or here's what it looked like on uh you know this app and and it's not really there's no substance to the music but with him it was very different because there was a lot of substance there um and you also want to assume i think that there's a story that isn't as interesting as his, you know, mm-hmm. the crazy plot twist of his grandfather being a huge Yo. narrative backing of like and being alive at the end of the fucking doc. And honestly, okay, well, we're getting ahead of ourselves though. The more interesting aspect of that entire documentary, uh, I could, I think I could listen to him read his letters. Oh my for God. Are you eight more me? hours. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, so let's get into it. So, I mean, the documentary start like uses the framing device of Lil Peep's grandfather's letters to him. Um, and take, to take, I guess, one more step back, Lil Peep um, was an, an artist kind of emergent out of the SoundCloud rap mm-hmm. uh, kind of wave of especially young, you know, Zoomer artists um, who specifically are, are making some kind of blend of like emo pop punk with trap. Sure. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, a variety of mixes therein. Yeah. Um, it's kind of part of that of that wave mm-hmm. um and i think a lot of people in the music industry were seeing him as specifically some like like a leader or like a vanguard of a new emergent um pop music right and pop style yeah um that was like blended the kind of like disaffection and anger and all that kind of stuff from like emo and punk um with trap music and like with like what what i think is pretty inarguably like the most popular music today which is like r&b and hip-hop um really successfully and like and like in a way that was like seems really natural and organic and really true to the to the lives and the inner landscapes of these young people mm-hmm. um so so yeah he was on the forefront of that and was gaining a lot of notoriety and fame um for his music and also in the world of fashion um and then died very very suddenly on a tour um and i think but i also think it's like worth saying early that like basically every song of his was like about dying yeah and like you know what i mean and sure uh, i mean that was part of the aesthetic his mystique and Mm -hmm. and his brand um so in any case the 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 film opens with like an old man narrating is it even clear that it's his grandfather from the beginning it, it probably is right i'm think. not sure if it is or not but, but it just it just starts with like yeah like this like really beautiful letter and like it's kind of like a, a motif they carry throughout mm-hmm. the documentary letters written by Lil peep's grandfather to him yeah about yeah. his prospects of the future what what he hopes yeah. for his grandson you know what what he's hoping will happen what he's wishing and it's very like heartfelt and super poignant oh my god mm-hmm. and well written and oh my god yeah you know yeah <laughs> I, I wish that was my grandfather shit. i can't wait for the doc to come out on the grandfather <laughs> I know, yeah he releases his own album but um 
yeah i mean and then it kind of like goes through you know hit the kind of his childhood and his life and um doesn't go into a lot of detail about what made his his childhood so difficult but it's pretty clear that it was um that his dad was not really in the picture mm-hmm. um i don't know i mean a lot of stuff that is not all that unique um but i mean like i guess unfortunately you know that's pretty common um in the u.s in the world um but it's really interesting because or, or it's interesting to see that side of him or, or to see that origin because he was both so young when he died um but also like uh covered in tattoos like on his face you know what i mean which it's really odd to see him as a child and then to see him you know as like how old was he when he died like 21 or something like that right like yeah. he's not he's not much older and you know i don't i, I mean i know you have your uh inked but i don't have any tattoos you know what i mean and 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 for sure uh I it's, love it's kind of you just said that to me it's so fucking inked. weird <laughs> well uh, you don't like that yeah uh, i mean the most <laughs> i think the hardest part for me in terms of believability is seeing him and all of his friends getting all of these fucking tattoos uh oh, in yeah. the shadiest of ways for yeah one so also, the amount of money that it costs you know like well, okay, okay. But, but, so, let's not skip ahead too far right so like he's he's making music he's just like what's the deal he like he doesn't want to leave his room he, he's just like, a, he's he's like dealing very with depression. depressed yeah he's definitely showing yeah. all of these signs of like clear-cut depression you know and, totally um, people are trying to pull him out of it in different ways but it right. it seems from the beginning that he's definitely not cut out to like reach out for help in the ways that, that he needs to yeah uh, that he seems to have a real problem in talking to people or in communicating with people in general right and the movie tries to die, tie this all back to his dad in some mm-hmm. in some kind of like vague way that's ne- never really made totally clear yeah um but he kind of gravitates toward a group of young people who are all you know like vaguely homeless and um, have like escaped their families in particular, someone named uh, Tracy who is the son of uh, the one of the music, one of the musicians from diggable planets mm. who's a big collaborator on a lot of his music and who was like, you know, super tight with him. Yeah. Uh, right. they, they made a lot of music together and was, they had run away from home um, and was like, just like hanging out with little peep practically all the time so yeah. he'd like fallen it fallen in with this crowd of young kids who are all extremely alienated um extremely you know directionless sure. um angry you know what i mean uh and i want to say i I've, I've lived in some you know suspect some, sus places uh, some squats yeah and i've seen i've seen squats i've lived in some like band houses and show houses and like you know played shows and slept on floors and done all that stuff but you know watching them push they had, they had like a, a warehouse loft apartment and they were just pushing everybody's corner was their corner yeah and it was just you know it's not i'm not saying in terms of like squalor because obviously they had the means to do something about it just that none of them knew what to do sure, like, sure, sure bought a lot of drugs it was just all the lost boys and no peter pan like no one had any right. idea how to be an adult in the group like there wasn't even anyone with like a even like a really a clear vision for the future yeah until the the manager comes in 
Right. Yeah, yeah. And up to this point, it's like another part of the mystery is like, or not mystery, but like, you know, it's part of the puzzle, um, which is again not as unique as I guess we would like it to be, is that like the mom's what's the what's the deal with the mom? I mean, she seems so yeah. smart, smart and ethical and I mean like and we know like that there's so many other things that can get that can happen. Sure, you know I mean? and that those are the thoughts that uh that I thought I had a lot because what's up with the mom? What's up with the grandpa? You know, like what's yeah. where you want to say, where did it go wrong? You know, obviously right. there are a lot of factors there, but yeah. 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 And I think, you know, it goes back to something we were saying earlier, which is like, to some extent, there's no, there can't, there can hardly ever be like a neat way to, to tie it all up. But I, I do think that like, returning to another earlier point that like um there's all these negative stereotypes along the lines of race for example about you know people being like artists of color having a really much more difficult time than white people for for whatever in whatever you know racial uh racist imagination that we've got um they they, they don't know how to deal with money right um but in fact you know if you look at the numbers like like white cis men are the people who commit suicide in the largest numbers sure um they engage some of the most in some of the riskiest behavior i mean like there are there's like sociological studies uh that i've heard about you know about like it's white middle class men in 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 office jobs who are most likely to do extreme sports like whitewater rafting and like and like risk their lives unnecessarily for no fucking reason fun because like they just don't don't face that same kind of you know challenge to to make it from day to day that that other people might um but i think there's just something really deeply true and 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 um revealing to me about Lil peep of that of this emergent generation of young people who is so understandably angry Mm -hmm. uh and and in some ways it's like it's, it's really upsetting to see up close because it like reveals what i think many times we we try to we try to ignore in 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 small ways like we just can't grapple every moment of every day with how grim things are you know what i mean but uh but for young people just to see that up close like how hopeless they are Mm -hmm. you know like how little future they see for themselves and these are people who are like again like like famous yeah (laughs) you know like like it's like the people that like you know are seemingly making it um and I think one of the things that really links audiences and and musicians, especially today or famous people in terms of like the, the things that alienate us is isolation um, and loneliness. And like that, that was something that really stuck out to me about the little peep doc too, is, you know, how upsetting it is. It seems to be that he's surrounded by people and that he's like trying to be like the, the title of the documentary, everything to everybody. And like really has a hard time saying no to people. He's surrounded by a negative community that ultimately doesn't look out for him. Right that ultimately doesn't seem to have his best interests um, at heart. Uh, which, I, I, again, I think are like just like exaggerated or heightened examples of what, of like the, the wider issues that we're dealing with. Definitely, yeah. I mean, and I think there's the this comparison that we can draw from the narratives of the past examples that we've had, you know, like, this is a story that you want to root for. Like you want, you want yeah. to win, obviously. Totally. Um, coming from a, whether you like the music or not, he's just, you know, yeah. Coming from the situation it came from coming from like 
this like subset of mental illnesses you know that he seems to be predisposed to you you want him to have faced that adversity and to triumph and that's like Mm -hmm. i think human nature to want that right like but in the end it it's not realistic Mm -hmm. and there are a lot of factors there and there's like it it has to do with the industry it has to do with uh drug addiction it has to do with his friends it has to do with like a generation that was basically born into nothing you know born yeah. into a future yeah. of nothing right yeah yeah like like a generation that can't expect to have um a stable uh environment to to live in you know um like in terms of climate change for example yeah why, why are we playing house if we can't yeah absolutely or, or and like for me like uh it, it's pretty clear to see the way that like patriarchy uh sort of scarred him and his life sure like like the absence of his dad again like super common absence of his dad but also something that i noticed a lot in his music um is again which like a, a lot of songs that i really like of his in terms of like the, they're super catchy super ta- he's obviously a super talented writer like nails the kind of like vocal tones of like that kind of like pop punk sneer mm-hmm. and, and all that kind of stuff and, and blends it so effectively with trap you know like a, a lot of those are just really viscerally enjoyable to me a lot of the lyrics are really disturbing um and you know not just like nihilistic and like suicidal and that kind of stuff but like uh, about gaslighting uh, women and you know it's like really ugly stuff yeah uh and and i think that several times there's comments throughout the documentary that's like literally he was just saying the truth all the time in his music and like again that's other people's opinions it's hard to know exactly but i kind of believe that <laughs> you know like i kind of believe that he it's, it seems like he was really just saying what he felt and what he what do you you know what i mean um and i think it's instructive and 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 we can i think learn a lot from it if we're willing to look but it's so hard to look closely it's so hard and it's it's such a great document to this yeah. this point in time you know yeah it really um, shows but... us what's happening absolutely yeah um Let's see. I mean, I definitely have more thoughts about this. <sighs> All right. All right. Do you, do you have anything else? I, I feel like I feel like I have more things that I want to say about this. I think. Uh, I don't know. If you have more things, I'm sure I'll have more things. Okay. <laughs> to re- reflect back upon. Yeah. Yeah. I don't um, know. I mean, I think it's it's a very cool way to end this segment. It's just talking about how that encapsulates a lot of what we were talking about before yeah i I guess it was i mean obviously the scene where he's dead is like super fucked up and haunting and part of it is because and i remember cluing into this around the time that he had died because i was just like seeing on 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 the internet that he had been like partying with people uh it's not really clear to me like whether they were like part of his crew or not but yeah basically he like passed out and and essentially died and was like dead for like hours before anyone checked on him mm-hmm. and there's like all these like there's like footage of him like of his corpse basically uh which is it's just like so grim you know what i mean yeah uh and i don't know i i guess like the easy or like one easy narrative to bring out of that is like yeah like this is just what fame does to you man you know it's just like fake friends like but i i really 
kind of want to highlight, I think, how in some ways it's not that remarkable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is because, and like, I don't know, like, it's such an interesting thing, this whole dynamic of celebrities and celebrity deaths, because they explicitly are remarkable individuals. They're held up as special. They are in many ways. Um, but in many ways, like, they're, they're like fame and the fact that we all know about them is totally contingent on luck and, and like, just their, their historical moment and the things that are kind of beyond their control, actually. It's just about like where the camera is pointed um, sure. to a large extent, you know? And like the reality is that like, you know, we're, yeah, we're, we're all kind of facing similar things like that. Uh, many of us are alienated and we're, we're encouraged to, to look to these supposedly special individuals <clears throat> as, as outlets um, in our lives because we don't, we have so little control over our own lives, many of us, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, it, so it's, it's such a deep betrayal whenever it's kind of revealed that um, actually this whole thing is rotten at its core, right? That like the people who are supposed to be the ones who are like the example of I could one day get there, like like or like of a meritocracy, or, or like of like a justification for the hierarchy. Like it, it, you know, if only like if those people were actually special and better than me, then yeah, it would be okay. For me to just be ground under the boot heel <laughs> you know what i mean of like right. of of the of the rich and powerful because they literally are better than me but yeah. um that's just not the case you know uh so i don't know i mean i, I don't want to come away with like thinking that, like we're not justified in like having these deep you know parasocial relationships with people that we never meet you know because it's just like a fact of our life and it's how like we interface with the world and, and with our identity and that kind of stuff sure. um but I think we are better served if we're always kind of like, I don't know, interrogating why we're, we feel that way, why we feel so connected to, to certain people that we'll never meet and, and what we can get out of that, you know? Yeah, I mean, asking why and keeping things at uh, a bit of a distance so you can really tell what it is that you're drawing from your your comparisons to like, you know, your life in Kirk Cobain's or your, your life in uh, – princes you know right but, okay so what's your, what's your okay go ahead sorry no what's your take on little peeps music um i thought it was pretty you know yeah i want to hear this <laughs> <laughs> i think in my in my mind i wanted i was prepared to hear something that was more uh i don't know engineered and performative than what it was and it ended up being this very uh contemplative setup of like taking a lot of the ideas of you know emo and pop punk and and putting them on display in a way that's a little more uh evocative than either of those genres can really get you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like yeah yeah that you can turn everything down a notch but kick up the uh the drama meter a little bit and make it a little Mm -hmm. bit more like uh of a neither of those genres make it like have a spotlight effect you know mm-hmm. where you can imagine peep on stage by himself singing this song like about uh this girl who just doesn't understand him you know and that, obviously that's a a song that is written in almost every genre of music but none of them <laughs> have the uh none of them have the flair or the like you know none of them have all of the factors at once you know like yeah this uh he's like crazy tattoos all over his body you know uh he's got his shirt off he's got crazy pink hair um he's also just like doing this like 
mumbling, like kind of like low self confidence. Uh, Extreme, extremely under the influence. Yeah, you you want to assume that it's that it's part of the act, but it's realistically not. And uh, yeah, it gives yeah. him this like swagger effect, but it also gives him this like I'm a little smarter than you. You know, I'm like mm-hmm. I'm a little more self aware in this situation than a lot of people give me credit for. And, right. and I think it's the combination of all of that stuff that's a little disarming. And mm-hmm. it, it set him apart, especially from his peers. But it, I think it set him apart uh, in a lot of other ways, too. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, you know, uh, the film gets it the way that his fame was linked to his constantly discussing suicide. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Like, that that was his brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, it makes it clear that was, that was, that must be difficult for him too. And something that the film doesn't get into at all <clears throat> is, um, his relationship to XXX Tentacion, who is another SoundCloud rap artist who, uh, was also, uh, who also died young, who was actually killed, um, and who is probably better known than Lil Peep, mm-hmm. all, even though arguably Lil Peep is like considered like more of a pioneer, I would say in, in this like this kind of field of music um and xxx is someone who uh the kind of response to his death was really interesting because he's known as someone who had abused his pregnant girlfriend <clears throat> um and who has had like has like lots of uh really terrible views about about uh you know he's like extremely homophobic and and whatever else you know all, all, again right. a super yeah. young a kid a super young person uh who is super famous and encouraged again by this kind of like negative community around them it seems to me just based on what little i know to dig into that as deep as possible right um it's kind of like nihilistic attitude uh so i don't know i mean and that 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 for me also is related to like you know the content of little peeps music which like i struggle with because there's ways in which and like i i was never as influenced by alternative music or, or emo or anything like that in my youth that's not really what i turned to mm-hmm. um the the like the what, what made more sense to me was like the kind of like like hardcore punk people just being pissed off about <laughs> about like politics or whatever like that was the kind of like uh rebellious rebellious music that i identified with early on and i still identify with most closely yeah you know well i yeah. mean i think we should make clear that <clears throat> the emo that we're talking about here is is not uh like rights of spring you know it's not right. It's like uh, My Chemical Romance. Yeah, it's, yes, it's realistically, yes. Uh, like third wave pop punk. Yeah, he has. had lots of samples of like Flyleaf or yeah. like yeah, totally, um, absolutely. But then like yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, did you did you hear the song um, Awful Things? Did no. you listen to that one? That's like one of the songs that arguably would have been his like big pop hit, like the one would have blown up. And there's an interesting video of fallout boy performing it live and you and you, oh, when wow. they play it when they play it you're like that's just a fucking fallout boy song right like, yeah, like yeah. literally could just be a fallout boy song it's perfect um <clears throat> but uh yeah that's that's a, that tracks a goer but it's like you know it's like an indication of like where he might have been going in terms of like creating this really successful uh, pop synthesis um, of these different styles yeah right on yeah so what did we end up on? What's the vin? The what did we learn, folks? Celebrity. No one should die. <laughs> um, no, I mean, like I think part of my takeaway from from doing this and watching the movie and stuff has been like, 
uh, again, like I'm coming back to that bell hooks uh, uh, quote quote that I was thinking about, which is related to another. It's an idea that she's kind of used multiple times. Um, and in, in the book about uh, she wrote about men, masculinity and love. There's a part about being in the chapter about being a boy that always really stuck with me, which is that all of the rewards and um, goodies, basically, of being a man under in a patriarchal society is not the same thing as being loved. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so that that's kind of something that I was returning to with all this is like all of the rewards of capitalism, all the rewards of, of patriarchy and white supremacy. You know, it's not just that they're ill gotten gains you know it's not just that like you have bad karma you know but it's like uh in many cases like there's just for for most of us as human beings we just have so many unresolved parts of our lives and so many un unresolved you know contradictions and, and traumas and, and whatever else and like that's no different for people who um we hold up as the most special yeah you know I, mean? I think i think kind of trying as much as we can to like break through that illusion uh i don't know it's just it's just helpful it just gives us perspective you know Definitely, yeah. Which, again, doesn't mean we shouldn't be sad when our favorite artist dies. No, of course. I mean, you should yeah. take your time to mourn and have grief with that. I, mean, I think that's such an important part of the process and, and an important part of uh, their life and as it extends mm -hmm. into yours, you know? Right. Yeah. All right. Well, this is uh, the podcast signing off here. Yeah, we didn't leave you on a funny note, but uh, we promise we will next time. I've had a great time. Me too. I learned a lot. Thanks, Jordan. All right. And now I'll start recording. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. All right. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. I'll see you later, buddy. Hell yeah. That was long. <laughs> yeah.